Okay, you're going to get it working. Thank you. Well, let me uh, pick up where I just left off a moment ago. We love our kids. We love our grandkids. Uh, Miss Karen just made mention that uh, Leah and I, we've got two boys. They're both in the ministry, six grandkids. And, uh, you know, we all want our grandkids and our kids to flourish, that they would come to Jesus, they would walk deeply and profoundly with him, that our kids and our grandkids would do more for Jesus than we ever did, right? We, we all want that. And so uh, when I say what I'm about to say, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Um, I love Jared and Aaron, my sons, my daughters-in-law, my grandkids, uh, but I love Dan Hamill like a son. I want Dan's ministry to flourish and for Dan to do more for Jesus than I ever did in my 30 years at the creek. And that's going to bring Jesus more honor and glory than, than I, I could ever hope. So I just want to thank you uh, for sending them to us. I told Dan he married up. Um, so, and he said amen to that right away. Um, what we're going to do, we're going to talk about Jesus coming back. December, typically, all across America and around the world, Christians are thinking about his first coming. Tonight, in these moments, we're going to deliberately think on, dwell on his second coming, and appropriately so. When your preacher asked me if I would be uh, available to come and preach and teach about Jesus, I said, Billy, as long as you let me preach about his second coming and not his first coming. And he uh, heartily agreed to that. So think with me for a moment. Kids play games, right? Kids play games like kick what? Kick? Kick ball, tug of war, capture what? Capture the flag. How about Marco Polo? Marco Polo, a hide and seek. Those of us who are older in the room, we remember some of these games because we didn't have video games to play. Moms and dads just said, get out of the house. Go play hide and seek or something. And so we would play hide and seek, and we would count to 10. Some of us who are smarter would count to 20. And then uh, we would yell, what, ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, here I come. And I believe with all of my heart that someday Jesus is going to split the clouds and he's going to say, ready or not, world, here I come. And that's what we're going to be speaking about tonight. Now, we're going to be in a book of 1 Thessalonians, and we always want to talk about context before content. Context before content. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, so whether you have a paper Bible, whether you have it on a phone, a tablet, whatever, if you would open your Bibles with me, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, a little bit of context. Who wrote Thessalonians? Anybody? Paul did, that's right. Now, Paul planted the church in Thessalonica. We read about that in Acts chapter 17. As a matter of fact, Paul was there for, it says in Acts 17, for three Sabbath days. And while he was there preaching and teaching about Jesus being the Messiah, he planted a church. And then he was driven out of Dodge, so to speak. They, they pushed him out of town. Now, what is interesting in this beloved letter to this church, he, he says something to Thessalonica that he did not say to any other church. He didn't say it to Ephesus, he didn't say it to Philippi, he didn't say it to Colossae, he certainly didn't say it to the church in Corinth in any of his letters. This is what he said uniquely to the church in Thessalonica. Ready? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verse 7, he says, And you have become a model to all of the believers throughout Macedonia, 
Macedonia and Achaia. Now, Macedonia and Achaia was a region. Those were not two cities. They were regions. So it would be like saying, and you... Uh, have become a model throughout all of the Midwest or all of the Pacific Northwest or all of the New England region. Paul is telling them you become a model, and that word model in Greek, it means a template, a template, a diecast, something worth following, an example worth following. He was so thrilled with that church. Incredible. Now, in this letter, he talks about Jesus coming back over and over again. Obviously, our Bibles are divided up into chapters. When Paul wrote the letter on a scroll, it did not have chapter headings. So this is what you and I want to remember. In hermeneutics, the science of biblical interpretation, there are rules that we follow when we interpret the Bible, and one of them is, if something is repeated, it is important. God wants it to capture our attention. So over and over and over again in this letter to this beloved church, Paul kept saying, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. No matter how much suffering you go through, here's the good news. Jesus is coming back. Now, where we're going to be, we're going to be in chapter 4, and our passage is the strongest the strongest of all statements of the return of Jesus by Paul in his letter to Thessalonica, the first letter, in which, by the way, if you have time, tomorrow maybe or whenever, just take a glance at his second letter to Thessalonica because, again, he makes mention that Jesus is coming back. He was like a broken record, and are we not grateful? Now, here we go. It's time for us, as we get into this text, to clear up some confusion. And I'm hoping, believing, praying that when we leave this evening, we will leave differently than when we arrived. That we might have come to understand something that might have been confusing to us about the second coming of Jesus or about what happens to us when we draw our last breath. So I hope that we leave differently than when we arrived. Here we go. So we're going to start in verse 13. Brothers, and he would be speaking also to the sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. What does he mean by fall asleep? Die. That's a euphemism. Uh, we have a euphemism, a kind, more gent gentle way of saying that somebody has died. We might say your mom has passed. Your mom has passed. So this is Paul's way of saying something kind, more gentle about somebody dying. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who have died or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will, look at this, bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep or those who have died in him. Do not miss that little detail. God will bring with Jesus those who are already with Jesus. It's in the text. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left, 
till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord who himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, hmm, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Will rise first. And then after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, we're going to unpack this. Uh, We are benefited, even in this room, by some of the inventions of this gentleman. Dr. Thomas Edison had over a thousand patents, many of which benefit our lives, help us to this day. If you've been to Florida, to Fort Myers, the good doctor had a winter home there, and many times he would go, and he would fish for hours upon hours at the end of the dock. And there was a standing rule, if the good doctor was at the end of the dock fishing, no one was allowed to step foot on that dock, not even Mrs. Edison. He was to be left alone. Well, after he died, they found some of his journals, and in the journals, they discovered why the good doctor, many a time, caught no fish. He did not catch fish. It was because he did not bait the hook. He did not want fish to bother him. He just wanted time to sit and think. As a matter of fact, the good doctor said, quote, 5% of people think, 10% think they think, and the other 85% would rather die than think, (laughs) close quote. What we want to do is really think about this text, this passage about the second coming of Jesus. Now, that phrase, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, about those who have died. That word ignorant in Greek means to be uninformed. We don't want you to be uninformed about this. We don't want you to be confused about your loved ones who have died so that you're grieving like those who have no hope. You you have hope. For your loved ones. We don't want you to be ignorant about this. Now, there's a, a phrase in this text that has unsettled some Christians over the centuries, and that phrase is this, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And it has caused people to be confused. Well, if the dead in Christ are going to rise first, from where are they rising? Are they rising from six feet under? Are they rising from their graves? Uh, ask any preacher and many a cemetery in America, they bury people with their heads facing what direction? East, facing east, so that the dead in Christ will rise first, facing east, facing Jerusalem. The Golden Gate specifically where Jesus was supposed to be returning. See, even our burial customs in America have been impacted by that phrase, and the dead in Christ will rise first. As a matter of fact, it has given birth to a a teaching called the doctrine of soul sleep. The doctrine of soul sleep says that the body lies inanimate. The soul is inanimate in the grave until the second coming of who? Of Jesus, and then the dead in Christ will rise first. I, I don't buy into that. Not at all, because you see, we have to harmonize that belief, that doctrine with the rest of Scripture. And even in Luke chapter 23, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, what? Today you will be with me in paradise. That's not six feet under. No, today 
You will be, not maybe, not perhaps, you know, you will be with me in paradise. So I don't buy into this doctrine of soul sleep. doesn't fit the text. That cannot be what that phrase, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, in addition to that doctrine, there are people who look at that, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's a rising. Some people, they will say, well, it's probably referring to the doctrine of purgatory. Now, the doctrine of purgatory about this rising the Roman Catholic Church developed the doctrine of purgatory, and they adopted it officially. It's in Roman Catholic. I have the new catechism on the shelf in my office, and I looked it up just to be sure it's still there. And sure enough, in 1439, the Roman Catholic Church said, we believe in the doctrine of purgatory. And what is that? Well, when a Roman Catholic dies, they go to purgatory. And what happens there? Purgatory means to purge. It means to remove one's sins finally. And how is that done? How is that sin purged? Some loved ones here do something. They have a high funeral mass, or they go on a pilgrimage to a holy place, or they say X number of Hail Marys, etc. There's something that loved ones have to do here to move mom or dad, grandma or grandpa from purgatory into heaven, removing their sins for a final time. Well, I don't buy into that. That's nowhere to be found in the Word of God. And here's why. Because one of the seven statements of Jesus from the cross, he said in John that it is finished. Chapter 19, verse 30, it is finished. Bam, what did we learn in our workshop this afternoon? That means paid what? Paid in full. You and I have a sin debt, a sin debt that we cannot pay. We need someone to take that sin debt away, and his name is Jesus Christ. So when he dies on that cross in our place, taking the wrath, the fury of God, he, he cries out, it is finished, bam, paid in full. So purgatory? Man, that's a talking point with a Catholic friend or family member. Go out for coffee and say, so purgatory, and you're thinking then the cross was insufficient. Something more must be done in addition to the cross? It's a great conversation to have, seriously. Speaking truth in love. Speaking truth in love. So the doctrine of soul sleep, uh, can't go there. The doctrine of purgatory, rising up from purgatory into heaven. Nope, can't go there. So what is it then about this, and the dead in Christ will rise first? We believe what Paul said in his second letter to the Corinthian church, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, home with the Lord. Our last breath here becomes our first breath there in the presence of the Lord. Now, let's talk about that a little bit. What does it mean to be home with the Lord? Just where is that? Well, Paul makes mention of that. You're home with the Lord. You and I, last breath of your home with the Lord. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, I once knew a man caught up to the third heaven. Does that ring a bell? I once knew a man caught up to the third heaven. Just FYI, little digression here, Mormons believe in three heavens. The first heaven, everybody goes. So no wonder Mormonism appeals to so many people. Everybody goes to heaven. So the first heaven, everybody goes. Second heaven is where uh, pretty good uh, Mormons go, but the third heaven is full tithe-paying Mormons. And they get this from this text, the third heaven. Now, 
you and I can think this through so easily. In Psalm, in the Psalms, Psalm 68 specifically, verse 8, it says, the heavens pour forth rain. There's our first heaven, the sky, our atmosphere. Pretty soon, we'll probably have the heavens pouring forth snow. So, chapter 68, verse 8, the first heaven is our sky, our atmosphere. In Psalm 19, verse 1, here's just one text, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. We look up to a, sun, uh, a bright sun uh, shine, or I took pictures this morning of sunrise. Uh, Leah and I went out on the front porch. It was spectacular. The heavens declare the glory of our God. A clear sky at night, the handiwork of God. All of those stars, the heavens declare the glory of our God. That's the second heaven, celestial heaven. So when Paul says, I once knew a man caught up to the third heaven, he was speaking about the abode of God, the dwelling place of God. So when you and I pass, or let's think of loved ones who have passed, who have died in the Lord, died in the Lord, their last breath here, their first breath there, in the abode of God, seeing Jesus face to face in all of his glory, high and lifted up, not buried six feet under, not to rise up then. So you and I have got to remember, before he returns, where are we? We are home with the Lord. It's where our loved ones are. But then when he returns, when Jesus Christ comes again, that's where this incredible thinking comes into play, and the dead in Christ will rise first. In our text, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who are asleep in him, who have died in him. To be absent from the body is to what? Be home with the Lord. So what's going to happen is there are going to be people who are coming back with Jesus, his second coming, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Here's how we need to understand the dead in Christ will rise first. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. Who was the author? John, writing from Patmos. And it really is not a difficult book to understand. We make it difficult. We make it difficult. Uh, like many of your children who are homeschooled, our six grandkids are homeschooled. And uh, in seventh and eighth grade, I, I'm the Bible teacher. By fifth grade, they got to memorize and recite the uh, Sermon on the Mount, they have to write it out for their final, they have to recite it. it it's not a cake class, I want you to, to know, all right? And uh, so in middle school, they take Revelation with Grandpa. I've taught this verse by verse, chapter by chapter, many times. We've even filmed it. It was requested so often. It's on video. And let, let me just give you the whole theme of Revelation. Ready? It's in one sentence. Be faithful to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Does that sound familiar? Who said that? Jesus did. Chapter 2, verse 10. It's the last sentence in verse 10. You be faithful to the point of death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Now think with me why that's just so easy to understand. Uh, in Revelation, there are three visions. There are seven seals that are broken. There are seven trumpets that are blown. And there are seven bowls that are tipped over. There are three visions. You remember in uh, Genesis, a young man with a coat of many colors. What was his name? Joseph. He had more than one dream, right? He had a dream about 
cattle, livestock bowing down to him. He had, uh, uh, or not cattle, uh, the sheaves of grain, excuse me, and then the sun, moon, and stars. Two different dreams, but with the same meaning. Same thing with Pharaoh, two different dreams with the same meaning. It's the same thing when it comes to those three visions. Seals numbers one through six, there's going to be horrific suffering, horrific suffering, and then seal number seven is broken, Jesus comes back. Seven, uh, six trumpets are blown, horrific, horrific suffering on planet earth. Seventh trumpet is blown, who comes back? Jesus comes back. Uh, bowls are tipped over, great suffering all the way through bowl number six. Bowl number seven, who comes back? Jesus. If it's repeated, it's important. You will have suffering, but be faithful to the point of death, and I'll give you the crown of life. There it is. That's Revelation. That's how simple it is. All right? It is not complicated. Now, in chapter 19, we're going to figure out this, and the dead in Christ will rise first because they're coming back with Jesus. They're coming back with him. Ready? Look with me, please, in verse 7 and 8. For the wedding supper of the Lamb, capital L. Who does that have to be? Jesus, the wedding supper. It's like a wedding reception. The bride and the groom show up at the door, and then you have a party hardy. The bride and the groom are together. This is the wedding supper of the Lamb. So the bride is who? Capital C, the church and the Lamb. They're together. This is the second coming. So the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So look at that. The bride, the church, was given fine linen, bright and clean to wear. Watch this. Chapter 19. We go down to verse 11. Second coming. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse I just finished reading a book called 70 Hebrew Words That Every Christian Must Know. Uh, these 70 words appear in over 60,000 verses in the Old Testament. They're incredible. One of those words is the Hebrew word for horse. You and I didn't own a horse as a farm animal. Horses were used only for war. So look at that verse now in that context. It says very plainly, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white, holy, pure horse whose rider is called faithful and true. So the context here is going to be war because of that horse. With justice he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Who does this have to be? Has to be Jesus. Has to be. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This has to be Jesus. Period. End of discussion. And then notice the armies of heaven. Armies. See, it's a military context. This is war. Armageddon. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses. What were they dressed in? Fine linen, white and clean. Who is that? That's the church. So, if grandma and grandpa are already there and Jesus comes back tomorrow, 
They're coming back with him, they're rise, and the dead in Christ will rise first as an army. They're rising up as a conquering army, not from six feet under. So that's what that phrase means, and the dead in Christ will rise first. We're not going to precede those who are home with the Lord. They're coming back. They're right there with him. So when God says, today's the day, son, you're going back. We're rising up if we're home with the Lord with him as a mighty army to conquer the evil one because Jesus is going to crush his head and we win and we win so that's how we articulate that phrase and the dead in christ will rise first so we draw our last breath our last breath here our first breath there we're home with the lord we're in a place of paradise and someday jesus says today's the day you're going back now we also want to remember that this text is not a rapture text there are many, 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 many Christians who look at 1 Thessalonians 4 and they go, that's the rapture. And I go, well, why is that the rapture? And they go, because of that phrase, caught up. And I go, really? Well, tell me more. A rapture in the thinking of a number of Christians is the secretive, silent return of Jesus. He comes back part way, and the church, the, the bride, is taken away secretly. Uh, there's only now one pilot in the cockpit. There's only one driver of the car, all suddenly missing. That's, this is not a rapture text. There's nothing silent in this text. As a matter of fact, when we look at the text, this caught up with them in the clouds. We who are still alive and left on planet earth, here comes this army with Jesus. Our loved ones are coming back with him to conquer the evil one. We're caught up to be a part of that great conquering army. That's what it means to be caught up. We're caught up to be with a part of that army. Uh, and then also notice this, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the trumpet call of God. Remember in the Old Testament, when the trumpets were blown, when Moses said, blow those trumpets, it was to gather God's people, whether to march out to a new location or rather, rather to go into war. Remember the Battle of Jericho. They marched around the city and they blew what? The trumpets. It was war. So this trumpet call was to gather the people of God together. And notice that the voice of the archangel, the word archangel, archon in Greek, it means ruling. So the ruling angel, the angel who is in charge, is going to have a loud, commandeering voice. There is nothing silent nor secretive about this. This is a second coming text, and it speaks powerfully of hope to each and every one of us. You know... Um, well, Gary, people will say to me, what about that Matthew text where two men are in the field, one's taken, the other left. Two women are grinding with a handmill, one is taken, the other left. That's the rapture. And I go, no, it's not. So re read the text more carefully because Jesus is saying this and he begins the conversation earlier in verse 36 by saying, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming, at the coming of the Son of Man. And then he talks about nobody knew in the days of Noah when the flood was coming. Nobody knew. And in the days of Noah, some people were swept away and others were left behind. 
So some people today say, oh, those who are going to be left behind, they're the sinners left behind. No, uh -uh. no, no. Who was left behind? Righteous Noah and Mrs. Noah and their children. They were left behind. Who was swept away? Sinners. At the second coming of Jesus, who will be swept away into the lake of fire? People who have rejected Jesus Christ. Who will be swept away to a place of eternal punishment? Those who have rejected Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we reject Jesus, we're not there. Home with him, home with the Lord. So they're the ones who are going to be swept away. Who's left behind? The church, the bride of Christ. So this speaks hope to us. Now, we want to remember it ends with this statement, therefore encourage one another with these words. A moment ago I looked up that word encouraged in Greek, and it's a wonderful word. It's a form of the word of the Holy Spirit, parakletos. It's two words put together. The Holy Spirit is sometimes called the comforter. So it might be that you're using a version of the Bible that says, therefore comfort one another with these words. These people were all troubled. Where's my loved one? Where, where's my dad? Where are my children? They've died. We don't want you to be ignorant about this, about those who have already died, who are asleep in the Lord. No, we want you to be comforted. This is where they are. This is what's going to happen. You will be reunited. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And there's another layer to that. Think with me for a moment. You and I probably have friends or family who are not in the Lord. I do. And you and I have got this incredible responsibility to share the hope of Jesus with them. Share the good news. We don't hire preachers to do that. Any one of us who's a follower of Jesus, that's our distinct privilege, our, our high honor to share the hope of Jesus with others. As a matter of fact, Jesus, he said at the end of his uh, ministry, and he's just about to be ascending into heaven, therefore go, uh, all of us were to go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Surely I will be with you always, even at the end of the age. What do we call that? The, the Great Commission. And he gave that to every believer, every single believer, the Great Commission. Many of us are intimidated by that. Well, I'm not a Billy. I can't do that. I'm not a Gary. I can't do that. Yeah, we can. Again, don't miss the little detail. Verse 20. And surely I will be with you always to the end of the age. We have a great companion. The Great Commission comes with a great companion. And we really can speak truth and love to people who are far from Jesus. We really can. See, when you and I came to Christ, we received a roommate. Remember? He's the holy who? The holy spirit. So Jesus right now is at the right hand of the throne of God. He is king of kings. He's lord of lords. He's already been crowned. He has ascended to his throne of regal position to the right hand of the throne of God, but he didn't leave us as orphans. I'll ask the Father, and he will send you another comforter, and that word another, 
uh, alo, A-L-L-O in Greek. It doesn't mean a different one. It means I'm going to ask the Father to send another one who is just like me. And who did we receive? The Holy Spirit. And he's the one who is with us 24-7, 365. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And it's his power, it is his strength, it's his prompting that enables us to share hope with people that we say we love. You know, um, Leah and I, we were watching um, Discovery Channel one evening, so I know this is true, all right? It was on Discovery. And it was a story of an octopus, and, and oddly enough, on a, a mission trip I took to Liberia, a missionary told me this story, and I, I always questioned it. But then I saw it on Discovery, so I know it's true. And I, so we're watching it at home, and I said to Leah, man, that'll preach. And she goes, oh, promise me you'll never bring that up in church. And I go, oh, yeah, rest on. I'm going to churchify it, all right? I'm going to clean it up. Ready? Here's the church version. A boy octopus meets a girl octopus, and they fall in love, and he proposes marriage. She says, yes, and they set the date, they have the wedding, they get married, and they go off on their honeymoon, and they do it, all right, for the first time, they do it. And immediately, right after doing it for the first time, the new groom swims off, and he dies, that's what the Discovery Channel said. He dies. Well, now we have a young widowed bride on our hands. And uh, in her grief, she's now carrying all these little ones inside her womb. And after a time, she gives birth to many, I, I guess the grammar would be octopi, to many little ones. And once the babies are, you know, cared for and... Um, uh, potty trained, etc., uh, they can fend for themselves, then mom dies and they eat her. And they eat her. That's what it said on the Discovery Channel. So after doing it once, both of them die. And Leah says, how will that preach? And I go, simple. Uh, th this is not rocket science. Who made that creature? God. Right answer. God made that creature. And what did God put in that creature? A passion to reproduce once before dying. And what if every creature called a Christian, what if we had a passion to reproduce spiritually once before we die? America would look very different today, would it not? The world would look very different today if every one of us had a passion to bring at least one other person to Jesus, and that person brought one other person to Jesus, and that person brought one other person to Jesus. The world would be a totally different place if we took the Great Commission with the Great Companion to heart. You know, um, this guy, Penn Gillett, anybody recognize Penn Gillett? He's a magician, Penn and Teller. He's a part of a uh, band, if you will, so to speak. And he's an avowed atheist, very outspoken. He tells a story about, after one of their shows, a gentleman coming up and sharing with him a New Testament and with great respect, 
sharing Jesus with him, how Jesus has changed his life. And Penn Gillett then told uh, about this on a podcast. And he said, that man was so kind to me, so respectful, knowing that I am an atheist. And then he said, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? We say we love our cousins, and our cousins do not have Jesus, and we're not telling them about Jesus. Do we love them, or is our silence really a reflection of hate? Whether it's that next-door neighbor or that co-worker, somebody in the immediate family. Maybe we have a husband and a wife who are unequally yoked. They share a bed, but they don't share a faith. Do we talk about, do we share Jesus, do we not? See, the Holy Spirit should be prompting us to do so. Jesus said, behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. In my wallet, I carry a reward card. And uh, this reward card is pretty incredible. It is my reward card from, ready? Blockbuster. Anybody remember Blockbuster? Yeah. I, I don't know if I can make any rentals with it anymore. Obviously not. But this is a constant reminder of hope to me. Jesus said, I am coming soon and my reward is with me. It's the gift of life everlasting on a new earth, a home of righteousness. And I wouldn't want anybody to miss that, especially those of whom I say that I love them. God's people say, amen. amen. Why don't we stand up uh, and let's celebrate the fact that uh, Jesus is coming back. Amen. Amen.